Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. We're in James 5, 16 to 18, and the title is Courageous Prayer, Whatever It Takes. Whatever It Takes. Now you're probably saying, what are we doing in James? We just got done with Joshua. We just start First Kings, right? Uh, the story of Elijah. What are we doing? Well, they're connected. Just hang on. If you got my email and did your homework, you know they're connected. When, uh, but first I'm going to tell a, a little story here that kind of leads into what we're going with, with Elijah and James and praying and the courageous prayer and whatever it takes God. When I was a kid... I really wanted a crossbow. Some of you, I told this years ago, but I really wanted a crossbow. I just got it in my head. I, saw, I think I saw Robin Hood, you know, the crossbows they were fighting the different guys with. And I just, they looked really cool. And I really wanted a crossbow, so I begged my parents for Christmas. I said, Can I want, all I want this Christmas is a crossbow. That's all I want. And I begged them. And they were like, my mom, you are not getting a crossbow. Put it out of your head. No, I really, and I kept begging. I'm like, I had, I just believed I was going to get a crossbow. And I kept begging, begging, begging. And one time when I was begging, my dad said, oh yeah, you're going to get a crossbow. That's what he said. What I heard was, yes, you're getting a crossbow. That's what I heard. So I was sure I was getting a crossbow. I was so excited. I got up that morning, Christmas, opened all the presents, finished opening my presents. There was no crossbow. I was crushed, crushed, just crushed. I don't know if you ever had a Christmas like that completely disappointed, crushed. And I, and I went up to my dad. I said, you told me I was going to get a crossbow. He goes, I never said that. I could have swore he said it, but he probably was like, he goes, I might have been like joking, like, yeah, like I would never get you a crossbow. But no. And it, it's probably a good idea they didn't get me a, a crossbow. <laughs> they knew I wasn't ready for it. And, I, and, and they, they, they thought I wasn't ready for it. They knew I wasn't ready, and I wasn't. And he, they didn't even know what I. They didn't even know what was going on. I remember they got me a fishing knife, and and uh, they got me this fishing knife because they did a lot of fishing, and it was one of those really sharp ones, you know. And the first thing I did, I got it out of the box and I tested it out on my fingers, which I, uh, I still have the scars, the blood everywhere. But then I took it outside and I was playing with it, and I saw Jim Bowie and the Alamo and all that, so I started throwing it up, up in the air. I remember I was throwing it up. I was trying to get it to come down and land, and one time I threw it up. And there's this big flash, you know, I'm like, whoa, what was that? And it hit electrical wire. And, and I looked out, and no came, the, the lights in the barn were flickering, flickering. I'm like, you know, and, and they didn't go off. My dad didn't have to get generated, but I grabbed that knife, and I hit it because I didn't want him to see the burn marks. From no, and he, he came out later and goes, what happened to it? What was going on with the electricity? He couldn't figure out. I hit the wire, and somehow it did something, and the lights actually flickered in the barns. Uh, also, I already had a bow and arrow, and, and when my bow and arrow, we would... I would shoot it, and I remember one time I was shooting at the bells of hay. We had our target set up, and my, my sister, Phoebe, went running through, and she had this long blonde hair. She went running through as I was getting ready to shoot, and I shot, and I remember the arrow going through her hair into the, you know, as she ran into the hay, and she's like, man, what are you doing? You know, you kill, almost kill me. I go, don't run in the way when I'm shooting my arrow. Yeah, that and, that. and I remember taking that bow and arrow, and we'd get all the neighborhood kids together in the field, a little hay field out by our house, and I'd, I'd say, okay, guys, this is the game. I'm going to shoot it up. We're all going to run, and whoever it lands closest to, they lose. You know, you're out of the game. And so we all get there, and I, I'd shoot it straight up, and we all start running. And whoever it landed near, they were out. Never hit anybody. Never hit anybody. But uh, so my parents didn't even know these stories, but they knew I wasn't ready for a crossbow. 
They knew I wasn't ready for a crossbow. <laughs> I'm still not ready for a crossbow. But anyway, we won't go there. I want to connect the dots here to God here. A lot of times we ask for things from God. We really want them. Ever have that? We really want them. We don't get something. We're so disappointed. We're so upset. But, but God often has to say no. Because my guess is if you're like me, we pray some really immature prayers. We pray some pretty bad prayers. Think of some of the prayers you prayed over your life. And if God had given you what you had asked for, where would you be today? What would have happened, right? He, he knows we pray some really immature prayers. Sometimes they're selfish prayers. Gimme. Give me this, give me that, selfish, and we have the wrong spirit. Sometimes they're self-centered prayers instead of God-centered prayers, praying for God's glory. That should be the whole point of why we pray for something. It has something to do with God's glory. Sometimes they're short-circuiting prayers. Now, God, I want it now, when he's trying to work something in our life, work something, and, and we're like, now, now, now. I'm sure you all have experienced that. Sean, you experienced that at the hospital, right? Please, God, take the pain away, right? Um, and, and we're praying for the same thing. But a lot of times we're like, there's something in our life, and we're like, now, and God's saying, no, no. They're short-circuiting prayers. In fact, in James 4, 3, it says this. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. Wrong motives. A lot of people say, why won't God answer me? Why won't he answer me? And I, always, and I'm, I don't always say it, but I'm always thinking it and I, with myself too. God, why aren't you blah, blah, blah? And, and, and then it comes back to me, this haunting voice, you know, my voice. Uh, he did. God does answer every prayer. If we don't get a yes, what did we just get? No or wait. Right? It's yes, no, or wait. He, he does answer our prayers. He did answer. We just don't like what he said. <laughs> really, right? That's what it comes down to. We don't like what he said. But we're going to see today that Elijah prayed according to God's word and will, and he got an answer. But he also prayed a very hard prayer, a very hard prayer to pray. And I'm going to say to you guys as we study this, do you have the guts to pray this prayer? Do you have the guts to pray a courageous prayer like Elijah prayed? Let's pray. Father, we are going to look at a, a powerful verse, a couple of verses here. A powerful passage, but also a difficult passage. We just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Just as you've already, already spoken to us and moved in our hearts through the worship, we pray that now through your word you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so last week... If you weren't here, listen to, because each of these build on, make sure you listen to the CD or the podcast or the YouTube. Listen, because they all build on each other, as you'll see. But we talked about the keys to courage. And we talked about the keys are to know the one true God, to know we're in fellowship with God and in his will, and to know his word and power. And once we know all these things, then we can pray in that power. Today, do we have the courage to pray according to God's word and will? Do we have the courage to pray, God, whatever it takes? Whatever it takes. Sounds easy, but just wait till we get there. It's not. 1 Kings 17.1, we looked at that last week. In 1 Kings 17.1, where it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my Word, at my word. How did Elijah 
Once again, if you weren't here last week, get, listen to this. But how did Elijah know the rain and the dew? How did he know they were going to stop? How? Because he knew God's word. He knew God's word. That's how he knew they were going to stop. In Deuteronomy 11, in Deuteronomy 11, verse 16, it says this. Be careful... Or you will be enticed to turn away. He's talking to the Israelites here in Deuteronomy. Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain and the ground will yield no produce. He says if you turn to idols, in the book of Deuteronomy with Moses here, he said if you turn to idols, God would use drought to get their attention. God's going to use drought to get their attention. God does the same thing today. He uses catastrophic events. And you, if you look throughout the Old Testament, you see that drought was one of them. War, disease, different things that, that he sent that, that to get people's attention. God use, uses in the Bible, and he uses the same today, catastrophic events to warn us, to warn our country, to warn us that, that we, he's trying to get our attention. God, God, not climate change, is responsible for what's going on. God. And even if climate, climate change is impacting the weather, God's even in charge of that. God, and people will look at anything to get out, and it's not God. That hurricane, that's climate change. Can't be God. That's climate change. Whatever, they'll, they'll, they'll bend over backward to delete God out of the process. But even if there was climate change, even if that's true, God's in charge of it all. He is in charge of the weather. He's in charge of catastrophes. He, he uses it to get our attention is in the Bible over and over again. Now, so that's one thing. In Deuteronomy 11, Elijah knew God's word. Another reason he knew that it was going to stop raining is because in James 5.17, it tells us. In James 5.17, he says, James says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Three and a half years. Why did he know? He knew God's word and he prayed. When we pray according to God's word for his purpose, his glory, we can be confident of an answer. He was confident of the answer. He he prayed. Why? Was he cold-hearted? Think about what he is praying. No rain for three and a half years? That is unbelievable. Was he he cold-hearted? No, he was courageous. He was courageous. This was a courageous prayer for him to pray. Elijah would knew what would happen if they didn't repent. He, that's why he prayed this. Back in Deuteronomy 11, I'm going to read the rest of the story. In Deuteronomy 11, it says, verse 16, Be careful or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down to them. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut the heavens so they will not rain, and the ground will yield no produce, and... You will soon perish from the good land the Lord is giving you. He knew what would happen the rest of the story. He knew that spiritual apostasy was far worse than physical calamity. Now remember that. Spiritual apostasy is far worse than physical calamity. Very, very important. He knew that because he knew that apostasy would result in judgment, eternal consequences for turning away from God. He knew that. 
And this was really, what this makes us, is, is really was a prayer for, of mercy and grace. He was praying, as shown by the sequel, back in James 5.17. Let's look at the sequel. Verse 17 says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. When God's purpose was complete... When God's purpose was complete, he pleaded for rain, which we're going to see soon. Uh, we're going to see he pleaded for the rain. They were both merciful prayers. No rain was merciful, and sending rain was merciful. They were both meant as merciful prayers. Listen, if we won't pray for God's discipline, if we won't pray for God's discipline, the result will be God's judgment. He was trying to help this nation not be judged by God. If we won't pray for that, and that goes for us as a country, if we won't pray for God's discipline in our country, we're going to face judgment. It, it's coming if we don't repent. As, as a church, our church, or as the church in the United States, if we don't pray for the U.S. church to, to be refined through God's discipline, there will be judgment. For our friends that we pray for, and our family members, for our own lives, it's the same thing. If we don't pray... For discipline, there will be judgment. And we, we have to have the, the, the courage to pray, God, whatever it takes, even for my own life, God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, do we have the spiritual guts to pray word-based, God-centered prayers? Do we have the spiritual guts to pray that God will get our attention of the country, of the church in the U.S., of, of an unsaved family member or friend, of somebody who's addicted to, to in an addictive sin. Do we have the guts to pray, God, whatever it takes? Elijah's prayer would be like praying today, God, send an economic drought. That's what it would be like praying. It would be like saying, God, send a recession or even a, a great depression. That's what it would be like praying what he prayed. And this had to be hard for Elijah. This guy was a, he's a human being. It had to be hard. He knew the terrible suffering. He saw the consequences. Starvation was everywhere. Wait till we get further in the story uh, in the next few weeks. Starvation was everywhere. But he knew that the alternative was much worse. Worse. And it took a courageous prayer and it took courageous faith. Courageous prayer that was based on courageous faith. The faith to trust God to pray this prayer. The faith to trust God to act in ultimate mercy and grace. To bring good out of suffering that he knew was going to come because of his prayer. He had, it takes a lot of trust, right? We've got to trust God's going to... I'm trusting God with this. To, the, the faith to put God's purpose above our personal feelings and desires. Right? That's what it takes. It might cost me my job. It might cost me my house. It might cost me stocks. You know? It might cost me all these things. It took courageous prayer to pray this prayer and to keep on praying this prayer. Think about it. All the suffering he saw, all the people starving, you know, he saw it all. They were starving to death. Wait till we see how horrible it got. But it took courageous prayer and courageous faith to keep on praying this prayer. In fact, in First uh, Kings eighteen, in First Kings eighteen, verse one, it says this: After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah: Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. 
So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. It was severe. He kept praying. He prayed how long? Three years. But we just saw in, uh, but, well, we saw in James, but I also want to read what Jesus said. It says the third year, but Jesus makes it even more clear what happened. In Luke 4.25, he says, I assure you there, there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the skies were shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Wait a minute. First Kings said the third year. Jesus says the drought lasted three and a half years. That means Elijah, when Elijah confronted Ahab, there was already six months of drought. For six months there was already drought and then he got in Elijah, Ahab's face because it went three and a half years, Okay. Do the math. He had already prayed earnestly that there would be a drought for at least six months. And he already saw the effect of it. He knew God's word, Deuteronomy. He saw the results of a God-centered, courageous prayer. Six months of drought already. He already saw it. Six months had already happened. It was already getting bad. It was getting scary, right? And that's what gave him the courage to confront Ahab who would have been extra mad, who would have been enraged because not only was Elijah in my face, remember last year, week, my God is Elijah, Jehovah, but also he's the cause of the drought. So Elijah knows God's word. He prays a God-centered prayer that it's for God's glory and will. But there's one more key piece I want to talk about. One more key piece. One more vital key if we hope to see God's power in response to our prayers. And I want to go back to James 5. And we already saw 17 and 18. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produces crops. But right before that is another key thing. Verse 16 says this. It says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now here it goes. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. That's the key, not just the courageous faith, not just the courageous prayer, but there has to be a righteousness. Are we righteous when we go before God, praying God-centered, courageous prayers? Are we righteous? Are we in the right place with God? Are we righteous? Are we in the right place with God and our fellow man, our fellow earthlings? Are we in the right place with them? That's very, very important. In fact, in 1 Peter 3, in 1 Peter 3, the very next book, it says this in verse 12, 1 Peter 3, 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Verse 7, back it up a couple of verses. Chapter 3, verse 7, 1 Peter Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them as, with respect. As the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious, gracious gift of God, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Woo! Wow. What's blocking our prayers? Maybe it's sin. What is just said here in 1 Peter 3.12. Maybe it's sin. If, if you, when we sin against God and then we come ask something, it's not going to go out so well. Think of your kids. Let's say your kids just have disobeyed you. They've just done something very disobedient. And then they come up to you and say, Oh, Dad, can I borrow the car keys? <laughs> what? Right? It's the same thing with prayer. Or 
The way we treat others, how husbands treat their wives, very, very important for prayer. The way we treat others, if, if, if your kids are bullying their, their sibling, you know, they're, they're picking on their little brother or sister and bullying them, bullying them, and you're, you can't get them to stop, and then they turn around and they say, oh, uh, dad, mom and dad, could you take me to Chick-fil-A? <laughs> Yeah, here's a chicken bone, right? You know, it'd be crazy, right? But that's what this is talking about. When we are in sin or if we're mistreating someone in a sinful way, it, it, it hinders our prayer. Or maybe our prayers are blocked because they're not God-centered. They're not focused on his word and his glory and his will. Are our, are our prayers being blocked? What do we need to unblock our prayers? What do we need to, to unblock it? Or maybe, there, maybe we just need to pray courageous prayers. Are we, are we willing to pray a courageous prayer for others? God, whatever it takes, whatever it takes, whatever it takes in the U.S., whatever it takes in the U.S. church, whatever it takes in my, my family and my friends, whatever it takes in my life, are we ready to surrender to God's response? This is the tricky part. It's one thing to pray this, but we won't pray this until we're ready to surrender, have the faith to walk by, walk by faith, not by sight, like we were singing earlier. Are we, are we ready to surrender to God's response to his answer to the prayers we're praying? In the USA, we're all praying for a spiritual awakening. Of course we want to see a spiritual awakening. But, but, are, we, but are we willing to say, God, whatever it takes, even if it's an economic drought, even if it's another 9-11, something far worse this time, are we willing to pray that prayer, God, whatever it takes, for the church in America? We all want revival. Who doesn't want revival? Everybody wants revival. Every church wants revival. But are we willing to pray, God, whatever revival, whatever it takes? Because what it might take is persecution to refine the church. I'm guessing it's going to take persecution. But I'm hoping it won't. But I'm guessing it's going to take that. It, it may take persecution. That means it's going to affect us. To see this revival. For our family or our, our friends, our family, you know, I, I, you know, are we willing to pray, God, whatever it takes for them? Many times people say, God, just, I want this person to become a Christian. But, but then we don't like the method that God uses. <laughs> I see it all the time. I see it in my own life all the time. We don't like the method God uses. God, save my husband, save my wife, save my kids, save my good friend. But then he uses a method that, that is shocking to our, our sensibilities or, or shocking to us or really disrupts my life. But the person, and I say to them, yeah, but the person became a Christian. They did. They became a Christian. That's what you're praying for. Yeah, but I don't like the way God did it, right? Haven't we done the same? I've done the same. Or, or, you know, I'll, I'll see someone who they become a Christian, but they became a Christian because they're facing death. They went through so much. I've had people tell me, if it weren't for this disease, cancer, killing me, I've had people say, if it weren't for this disease that is, that is killing me, I would have never become a Christian. If I hadn't lost this person in my life, I would have never become a Christian. It took that. And what's more important? This little time blip on earth or eternity for that person getting saved parents i don't know if you've ever had a prodigal i've had several uh please bring my prodigal home please bring them back to me please bring them back to you god but don't let them get hurt <laughs> wait, wait 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 that that's not whatever it takes that but right but 
pain may be exactly what it takes to break them. And we're so often, the, we're afraid to pray this prayer because we think if we pray this prayer, well, God, whatever it takes, he's going to do something really bad in my life. Well, it might seem bad, but it's not bad. Because God promises that Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. It might seem bad, but it's not bad. It has an eternal positive. And, but we have that but, but, but. We hang on to this. We want him to change, but, but, but we, we're, we're, we're worried that something really bad will happen to them. But we're not looking at the eternal. The issue is, do we trust God? Will we surrender that person to them, to God. Will we surrender that person to God? You all know what I've been through. Ryan was one of our prodigals. We had two. One came home and one didn't. And I remember praying when he became a prodigal, God, please bring him back to us and to you. That was always the prayer. He was a, a lot of you don't even remember this, but he was a dedicated Christian. Every mission trip, every retreat, couldn't wait to go. First one to sign up. Told me he wanted to become a missionary. And this was in high school. Told me he wanted to become a missionary. He's going to go to Karen University. Pastor Matt wanted to be with Pastor Matt and learn and grow. Get ready for the mission field. But something, something snapped. He pulled a U-turn. And he went to the wrong school. He jumped off a spiritual cliff. He got involved in the drug culture. And it was horrible. Disappeared for a year. We didn't see him for a year. After several years of this, I remember praying, God, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. And it took a lot. I remember going after that prayer. I remember going to the hospital in Philadelphia and, and the mental ward because he was suicidal. He checked himself in. He knew he was going to kill himself. And I remember sitting there and talking to him. I said, Ryan, this is a spiritual battle. He had this tremendous inner conflict because he's fighting God. And I said, Ryan, you're fighting God. You're not fighting me anymore. You're not fighting. I've handed you off to God. This is you and God now. And he knew it. He was having his battle. He was fighting God. He told me, I'm fighting God. He, but by God's grace, he got out and he started moving forward in his life and he got married and we were very hopeful. He was working hard. It was going great. But then, oh, you all been through it, probably. He's hopeful about somebody. He started slipping and sliding, and he, then he dug his heels in again. And we had to ask him to leave. He and his wife had to ask him to leave again. Was living back in that old life again, and I'll forget, he was hit by a car. I don't know if you remember him being hit by a car. Some of you didn't even know that happened. He was hit by a car. He should have been killed. How many people get hit? He was... The, the, Please, yeah, if he had just been like one inch further, he was dead, you know. It just, he hit, flipped over the car. It was crazy. He survived it. And I remember saying, Ryan, you should have been killed. God is trying to get your attention. <laughs> Look what you've been through. What will it take? And I remember he said, ah, I'm pretty stubborn, Dad. I said, Ryan, listen to yourself. He goes, I'm pretty stubborn. And I, and I kept 
praying, God, for God's mercy and grace. I kept praying, God, please bring him back to us and to you, whatever it takes. Then he and his wife, uh, they, they, she got pregnant and had baby Laura. It was a miracle, a miracle baby. And that's what brought Ryan back to us. We got very close that six months. We reconnected some incredible ways. Uh, just really connected. The half the prayer was answered, but, but the other half, bringing him back to you, God, wasn't answered. And, and he was still fighting God. Even though he's back with us, he was still fighting God. And uh, I'm going to let Kim tell the rest of this story. Looks like she got her hands full there. Uh, there's our miracle there. She won't let her leave her. Uh, so, um, but whatever it takes, the prayer, whatever it takes, even if it means taking them, even if it means taking them, and I'll let her tell the part of the story you've never heard before. So, um. Um, As many of you, of you know, people who struggle with addictions, um, the internal battle is very difficult to overcome. I mean, Chuck just touched on a small part of Ryan's life. But that was a battle we were dealing with for a long time. Um, it all came to a head for Ryan when Laurel was, it was May, I don't know how old she was, eight months old, she got MRSA. And we were in the hospitals, back and forth between Children's Hospital and Doylestown Hospital. And he would come to see her, and he, he just couldn't, couldn't process it, couldn't handle it. Um, when I was at the hospital with her, he had come to see her, and he left, and he called me. He kept calling me to see how she was. And one night, he calls me, and he was unintelligible. I couldn't even talk to him about her because he was so upset. He couldn't handle seeing her sick, and he was blaming himself. And that night, after I hung up the phone with him, because I was laying in the bed next to her, I whispered to God, God, please, if Ryan could be with you in heaven and at peace, please take him to be with you. This whisper came from me, a mom who was brokenhearted about her son watching him suffer for so many years and not being able to help him on this earth. Knowing I knew only God could help him and take away the pain and the torture that was in his soul. But he didn't want that. It was a cry from my heart, but little did I know that a week late, what would happen a week later. After his death, his friends gave me his computer. And I was searching through it because, of course, right after he died, what is the first thing that comes to my head was that whisper to God wasn't even like I planned it or prayed it or anything. I just said it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Uh, he, they gave me his computer, and I was, like, searching through it. I was like we had to find something, like, to know where he was at spiritually. And I was going through it, and I saw he had downloaded the Passion for the Christ two days before he died. This encouraged me because that was one of his movies that he really uh, spoke to him way back when that movie first came out. And it encouraged us because Ryan knew God once, and he had a relationship with him at one point, but through, the years of but through his years of addiction, he rejected God. Our hope was that after watching this, that he re reconnected to God before his death. A couple months later, I was at my mom and dad's house on LBI, and on their counter they have a verse calendar that has a Bible verse and a testimony, you know, like the little devotional. And on August 2nd, 
this was the verse that popped up. All the days planned for me were written in your book before I was one day old. Psalm 139, 16. The devotional that was written about this verse was, Death is God's way of taking people away from evil. From what kind of evil? An extended disease? An addiction? A dark season of rebellion? We don't know. But we do know that no one person lives one day more or less than God intends. And our hope is that he is finally free from his pain and that he is resting in God's arms in peace. Whatever it takes, even if it means taking something away from us or someone away from us. Let's pray. As we have this time of prayer, we always have a prayer team up front. If you need to pray now or during the worship closing song or after the service, they'll stay here as long as you need them. As we go this time of prayer, are we willing to pray like Elijah did? Are we willing to pray according to God's word and God's will? Focused on God's glory and God's purpose. Are we willing to pray a courageous prayer for our country, for the church in America, for our church, for our family and friends, for our own life? <laughs> Ooh, whatever it takes. And then to trust God that what, what it does take is for our good. To trust him. Whatever it takes to make me righteous. Maybe there's something in our life that we have to say, God, I don't want to die with this. Whatever it takes, make me righteous. I don't want to carry this to my grave. I don't want to come before you knowing that I didn't let, let go of something. What is blocking my prayers? Sin or self-centered prayers. Or will they be God-focused and biblical? How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us during this time of prayer? Maybe your prayers are blocked because you're not a Christian yet. You've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never surrendered your life to him. That's something that can change right now. A simple prayer of faith in your heart can change this life and all of eternity. Eternity can be changed for you today, this very moment. Just say, God, I. No sin is blocking my relationship with you. The garbage in my life, the rebellion, blocking my relationship with you, God. I'm 
I'm asking you to take that blockage away, to take that wall down. I'm giving you permission to do that. I want to give up that, that whatever in my life is, is keeping me from, a, from, from coming to you, God. I repent. I turn away. And I turn to you. In faith. I put my faith in Jesus, your son. who died on the cross in my place, who rose from the dead to give me a brand new life. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. If you have prayed that prayer of faith today, there is now nothing between you and God. You can now come to God at any time as your heavenly father. Any time for anything. You now have a relationship with God. You will know his love in a way you never thought imaginable. I want to encourage you, if you've taken that step of faith, to tell somebody whether you tell me on the way out or if you have a family member or friend here or fill out the card or text me, call, email, let somebody know because we're going to be so excited and we're going to help you grow in your new life in Christ. Father, whatever it takes, we pray that you would make us like Jesus. You would prepare us for eternity. You would maximize our lives here on this earth, whatever it takes. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.